Welcome to this week's episode of Innovator Speaks. I'm your host, Darshan Virshati. Our guest today is Hanna Khan. Hanna is the founder and CEO of Universe Simplified Foundation. USF is a Mumbai-based nonprofit that sets up STEM-based innovation hubs in schools attended by children from economically weaker and marginalized sections of society. USF's work on several such initiatives has brought them accolades and recognition. Earlier to founding USF, Hanna was part of the corporate world across various roles in management and engineering. Hanna is an alumni of University of Bradford with an MBA in strategic management. Hanna, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed for my podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Darshan. Thanks for having me here. Yes. So tell us your story. You transitioned from a corporate career in management to social entrepreneurship. Why? Um, yes, uh, it wasn't planned that way, uh, but uh, yes, that transition happened. Uh, so, so I, do you, do you want the long version or the short version? Both would sound great. <laughs> okay, okay. Now I'll try to keep it a little short. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I grew up, uh, you know, uh, being a typical girl and. Uh, at 15, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so, you know, society said, let's do engineering and let's do MBA and blah, blah, blah happened. So I did that. And, um, but, but when I was a kid, I was very, very, very curious kid. And I was uh, very interested in astronomy. And, you know, like, I think, I mean, from the time that I could learn how to speak, I was like, what are the stars? What is this? How do, how was the universe expanding? And uh, I was full of these questions, which uh, apparently, like, in, I, I think I used to vex my teachers a lot because whenever I would ask questions, they would be like, you know, let's let's look at the questions later on or something. And uh, what happened is by sixth, seventh grade is I just, uh, I started asking questions and it was just like, Ratta Maro, exams pass karo. And I think that was a prime reason why I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life at the age of 15, like after 10th, I didn't know what to do. So, uh, very typical, again, throughout engineering, I really, really did not enjoy enjoy engineering. It was not my cup of tea, but um, that happened. Then, um, I, 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 after engineering, I worked for a couple of years with an IT firm. Then I uh, went to Singapore. Actually, so the University of Bradford that you mentioned, but I've done it from Singapore with a tie-up uh, university called MBIS. And after I came back, I worked at an engineering firm for a year and a half, which is AT Enterprises. And um, uh, and we have a family business. My dad has been into textile manufacturing for uh, for the longest of times. And then I joined him. And it was there that I felt that it was not really aligned to what I was wanting to really, like how I wanted to live the rest of my life. I started asking myself, is this what I want to do? Uh, because for me, uh, I, I I enjoy working. I, I find it exhilarating to work. And, I, and if you look at your day, then um, like, at least I sleep eight hours a day and the majority, the chunk of your awake hours you're working, right? So if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're actually not living a great life. So I started asking myself a question that if I had six months to live, what would, how would I live then? And it was at that time that I picked up, my, um, I picked up this book, uh, Cosmos by Carl Sagan and purchased that book like 10 years back and it was gathering dust and I picked it up and I read it and oh my gosh, that entire childhood passion for astronomy and science just came back. I wanted to like catch people on the street and tell them, do you know that neutrinos going through your body right now and things like that. And I was very like excited about it. And um, so like, yeah, this was happening in parallel that I read the book and then I was asking questions what I wanted to do with my life. 
And then I sort of, you know, came to this understanding that I should live a life where I'm doing something that I, I get excited about and I, I, I feel alive when I'm doing it, right? So um, uh, that's where I said, okay, you know what, let me, uh, and I felt that, uh, not felt, I mean, I, I, uh, since I was a very curious child who had lost interest in science and astronomy by the time I grew up in like sixth, seventh grade, I, I knew that that was happening to other children as well. And, um, you know, like the, the idea, the initial idea was, you know what, let's, let's start taking astronomy. Uh, 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 exciting workshops in astronomy to children to ignite their curiosity and, uh, you know, ignite that love for science uh, because astronomy, you know, you have aliens and this and that. Children automatically get really excited about the topic. So, uh, and, and Mira, who is a co-founder of Universe Simplified, she uh, joined at that time as well. Uh, she was in college back then, but she loved the idea of taking astronomy to schools. And uh, so I, I, I left the family business at that point and we started going to schools. And when we entered schools, we realized that the entire science education was still being taught through textbooks and, you know, rote learning. And it was so sad to see that because I thought maybe over all these years, things might have changed. But and, uh, and, and OK, so at this point, there was no thought of social enterprise or anything of that sort. Uh, but um, we we just jumped into this sort of, and we were going to private schools, but we were charging very low. I think uh, the idea was to reach more and more students, and we had to learn a lot of things. So, so uh, very initially on, the idea sort of evolved into astronomy and science workshops. And what we were doing is we were uh, taking every science topic. So, for example, if it was sound, the children would actually build a speaker using copper coils and magnets, and actually see the vibrations in action, so they would understand the concept of sound. So things like that. So every Every science topic would have like a two-hour workshop. And um, so we, we we started this and we were reaching out to quite a lot of students actually. Um, but we, we knew that the real benefit of this kind of learning would only come when you expose this kind of uh, workshops in a repeated manner to a child, right? Like it has to be across years if you want to really see some permanent change in the way the child is thinking. So uh, we started thinking in lines of... Um, setting up these science clubs within schools uh, where the students would get a hands-on um, science exposure on a once a week basis. Now, um, I, I think, uh, so what happened, but what was happening is uh, my personal bank balance was really dipping low because uh, we were, I, I, I don't know, it was, you know, when you walk into a school and you want to teach the children, all like we want to take workshops with the children already, you do not have much of a negotiating power and you were charging very low. So, the bank balance started dipping and I had to start buying money for my dad and I was really feeling uh, horrible about that. So, uh, and uh, we were also doing a lot of outreach work, uh, astronomy related, science related. We were going to rural places and stuff like that. And I got an opportunity to work for a US-based company. So I think that was the time when, since, you know, I could start earning and I could like pay off the loans and all of that. And, and um, we sort of got Mira on board as a permanent like as a, as a permanent role and I, I think that was the point where th there was no transition to the social sector but we just felt like since that that constant need for generating money just sort of evaporated because i was earning and we just automatically shifted to uh doing these workshops for students who would otherwise not have access to something like that it, it just happened very naturally now when we think about it there was no there was no thought around it. So when you so when you say, you know, the transition from a corporate to a social sector, for some reason, it was a very natural transition for us. Um, so that happened. And um, also alongside, I was having these conversations with uh, Mitch Altman, who is, uh, he's, he's known as a 
father of the makerspace movement in the US. And uh, program related, there were some changes that started taking shape because we used to initially take uh, a kit. Uh, so if the students are making a hydroelectric project, they would take a kit and they would, you know, they would make a turbine and they would actually see the uh, electricity being generated through water. Uh, but uh, I think the realization, the realization that we had was that at the end of the day, the child was still, like we were still telling that child, okay, now connect it like this, connect it like that. So, so the child, so why it is a better way of learning than your textbook-based learning, we felt like the child was still not thinking enough. And I think that was an important, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, a crystallization of thought for us. And, and I, I don't know how skewed up the timelines are for you at this point, but uh, I was also reducing my hours at the US-based company at this point. So in 2016, October-ish is when I completely quit that US-based company and I saved up some money. So we, I, I jumped back fully into Universe Simplified. And at that time, instead of saying that, you know what, let's set up science hubs, we decided to set up innovation hubs, where now, if you see, there's been a transformation of the program uh, from how we had initially started it. Now it's hands-on, but it's also inquiry driven. So the focus is now more on how are the children thinking, how are they figuring out how something works. Um, so that's a big uh, transition that happened for us. And I think by then we had the clarity that no, we want to work for students who otherwise don't have access to this kind of uh, education. And we registered ourselves as a nonprofit in 2017. That was okay. a very, very long answer. <laughs> wow. No, that, that's, uh, that's really nice. I could relate to it on multiple levels uh, okay. because uh, one, uh, I do have a very close friend. She mm. uh, was... Uh, Similar, uh, similar background. She did uh, engineering, mm. but then uh, she was always interested in astronomy. And eventually, now uh, she is pursuing her PhD. I'm sure oh, nice. folks like her would love to connect with you. I'll definitely, definitely. put it in touch. Definitely. And secondly, you're very bang on. On you know, when you're trying to do something good for the society, when you're trying to do a non-profit, we also have to think about how it will uh, have a sort of a cash flow, right? Mm. So I went through that phase uh, when trying to set up my own non-profit. So, <laughs> kudos to you that you could get through that. <laughs> so. I don't know how, but yeah, but uh, I think initially, uh, that was a tough period when uh, there were no fun, like when you we were going to schools initially. So, that was a bit of a, a difficult period for us financially. But I think uh, since we have registered for a non-profit, um, uh, Funding is a challenge, but it's never it's never come to a point where we might have to like close down or something. That we we had good support from the first year itself uh, once we registered as a nonprofit. So I think those were the good things. That's fantastic. So this has been a very much a passion project for you that began a couple of years ago, right? It's not. No, it's not a couple of years. So uh, oh my gosh, the story has been so long. Actually, this whole like when I met Mira, uh, that was ten years back for the first time when I met her. And a lot of this private schools things was also a long time back. It's been five years since we registered. So a lot of oh, the wow. story that I've told you is like, was like seven, eight years back. So uh, luckily, like I, I was just thinking about it and it's, you know, it's been 10 years and I just feel if not more, like I, I'm still that passionate about the topic and about Universe Simplified and I get very excited if I have to talk about it. So uh, it feels great to be doing something that you love so much every single day of your life. So I, I think I, I, I'm glad of the decision that I made. Uh, back absolutely. Then. Absolutely. So when you 
do projects within USF, uh, how do you identify specific regions or schools to engage with? What's the criteria? Per um, se? Right. So uh, when we started uh, the pilot phase and, you know, uh, we, we, we were always working in urban and rural. And uh, the, I mean, I'm a backpacker and I love going to rural places. So a friend asked if they, if you want to work on the outskirts of Bombay uh, in Zilla Parishad schools. And uh, again, the answer was yes, just like that. <laughs> and, uh, and since five years, we, we, we were, so we were working initially in urban setting and within Bombay schools and uh, also on the outskirts. And uh, slowly we realized that uh, we have some really good organizations in Bombay, within Bombay in education. And uh, the place where we are working, so there's this Kalyan Murbar Road on the outskirts of Bombay. And there are a lot of these tiny villages and uh, they, they they don't have any opportunity for this kind of learning over there. Uh, in fact, there are very few nonprofits which are out there uh, for some reason. So we decided, uh, like luckily before COVID is when we took a call that, you know, like we told our uh, urban partners that we want to focus on the rural areas going forward. And six months, uh, so it was also increasingly getting difficult for us to travel every week to the villages. Um, and uh, so the initial, uh, the, the question that you asked me, like, how do you choose your school? The initial choosing of the schools happened through friends who recommended us to work with certain schools. That's how it happened. But once we were in that particular area, um, we decided to take more schools within that geographical region in those villages. And six months before COVID hit, luckily, we decided to make this decision of moving and living in the village uh, permanently. So um, uh, we, we, uh, because of that decision, luckily, throughout COVID, we were able to work uh, because since schools got closed, we, uh, the Sarpanch knew us. So they gave us permission to set up these innovation hubs within the communities. And uh, our program ran, ran in the physical sense throughout COVID, um, luckily. But but yeah, I, I think that the idea of focusing more on the rural areas, that sort of got uh, accelerated because of COVID. Um, and uh, now uh, it's been like, so the program itself is four years long. And we have taken like four or five years on the ground to really focus on the foundation of the program. And uh, this year is for the first time when we are scaling up. So very excited about it. But uh, hopefully next year we are looking at um, taking the program to around 1,500 students across 20 schools. But uh, the schools are being decided based on the geographical region. So we are, um, yeah, it's, it's about focusing in one area and then trying to prove how the program is working and what changes will happen, uh, you know, because of the program over time. So this is how we are, uh, this is how we have decided the schools. Oh, that's awesome. So essentially it is a, uh, what's accessible to you in nearby rural areas. So that makes sense. Uh, it's really cool that you could get through that uh, pandemic, especially when there was a lockdown and you managed to run the show. Uh, yeah. And it's well, really beautiful. The villages, really, the villages are like, they're all rice fields and everything. And it's very, very beautiful place to live as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I, I see your LinkedIn post where you put photos of this uh, children building this uh, Crazy small little things out of nothing, right? Uh, it's like crap yeah. material. How did you yeah. inculcate that kind of a concept amongst children to do it in mass? What was what is that? What is your process like? Um, are you asking me about how we went about the curriculum designing, or how do we get the students yeah. to work on the projects? Or essentially that, uh, how, how do you inculcate the thinking process amongst children to build such uh, projects? Right. Um, okay, as for the material, I'll just quickly say that um, for us, the focus from day one had always been on how can you bring 
the innovation hub kind of a program to uh, to schools which are highly under resourced um so so we have designed uh, if you see the material it's very low cost you know a lot, lot of reusable stuff the solar panels motors are really um, inexpensive um so the process that we follow is um, uh, like like suppose if the student suppose they want to make a balloon car so what uh, like we will give them you know it will be like a written instruction which they have to read and understand then they have to sort of design what's in their mind like when they of course there'll be a discussion around the concept of how you know what do they think if you have to make a car which runs on balloon power how do they think it will work uh then they sort of design it on paper so it's very fun to see how is it that they are thinking uh, about something before they have made it uh then they try to figure out what material like they know what a car is right so then they'll be like oh you will need wheels and you will need this and you will need that um but more and more the focus is so once they decide what material will go into it they will start building it so um the the most important thing is to not give them instructions on how to build something so once they start making it you will typically see that all the children will have that spoke and they'll stick it to the car and then when they put the wheels obviously the car is not going to move because they are stuck the the spokes to the car right and so then once they have done that mistake that's when they sort of like realize okay this is not going to work so what else can you use then we sort of like you know have a conversation with them like give them some hints then they realize oh maybe if we put the spoke through a straw then it will still turn so it's very fun to see this process where they are uh, trying on something if it's not working uh, then they then they come up with some solutions and and a lot of focus on collaboration with students uh, with each other for them um and it's very important for you to create an atmosphere where they can fail if that's not there you cannot even talk about innovation because then obviously they'll go for the safest things or they'll want ready made answers um so providing that space like one of the most fun workshops is uh, which we do early on is designer board and sabke boards doob jate hain it's so much fun and then we have like you know we laugh about it and we're like oh great now we'll get to learn something because our boards have now sunk so uh, that's the kind of process that we follow and when it happens in a repeated fashion you'll see that the children's confidence really starts growing because when they have finally made that that project they know that they have put effort into it that they know that the thought has gone into it it's not like oh you just took something and assembled it and some of the kids will start asking you know what now we want to make a bigger project uh, what else can we make and uh, as part of the so what we initially do is like these are students who have never done these kind of projects before so we sort of introduce to them uh, through the through this process we sort of introduce how do you do wiring how do you use switches how do you uh, you know uh, uh, use uh, connect motors and solar panels and things like that and um, uh, the second year is when we are actually introducing the open ended innovation module where the children can pick any project that they want from their local environment and come up with stem based solutions for that now that's where the actual fun lies because and there's complete ownership from the children because they have chosen what project they want to work on but it's insane fun uh, you know they you know our students have made like a buzzer system for women safety they have made like a big transportation vehicle and now they want to make a bigger one uh, like proper with full motors and you know steering mechanism uh uh one girl during covid she uh, like she was learning robotics and she just looks up at me and she's like oh so does that mean we can make an automatic hand sanitizer so it was very nice to see that when they're learning something now they're thinking of the application of science and technology for addressing real life challenges so uh that's the way we have designed the program uh to foster this problem solving um kind of a thinking right so that is uh, essentially what uh, you call as enquiry based them right where you're yeah. trying to probe the children with more questions to kind of lead them to more ideas right and uh, 
this is really beautiful because uh, this is very much needed in you know corporate powerhouses for uh, <laughs> designers to come up with ideas because as an industrial designer i can tell you we go through that uh, i'm sure even in your mba you gone through the design thinking or whatever right. those yes yes so yes. it's uh, this is amazing happening with children and uh, what what's the course content look like um so it's a four year program um the 6th and 7th grade in the zilla parishad schools we sort of focus more on uh, the mechanical project making bits so uh, as i said how do you use motors solar panels uh, in the innovation module they make projects like uh, you know a mini washing machine or a vegetable cutter or a rust cleaning machine uh, whatever they want and um, the eighth grade is when we are introducing students to laptops um this year we are trying to do summer camps because uh, you know we are we are realizing how difficult like this is the first time they've ever used a laptop and it becomes difficult for them so we sort of start with typing uh then there's a small uh, curriculum on ms word which actually is a very intensive extensive curriculum but uh, we don't cover the entire thing but enough for them to get their hands on they get their way about the laptop and then we are introducing scratch programming and then we move on to robotics so this is like a, how the typical four year uh, looks like but as i mentioned the focus is always on the application of science and technology so even if they're learning arduino there'll be a project around it on how you can you can pick any local challenge and try to come up with a solution for that so um yeah but the focus is like it's a four year program for this repeated process of inquiry and application of science and technology um that's that's really interesting uh so over the years hmm. of doing this what are the toughest challenges you faced at any point did you feel like okay i've just got to quit and go back to corporate life oh no that's never happened uh in fact the more i do this i i <laughs> you know that i don't think i can do a corporate life uh, like a corporate job um not that it's bad but uh, i think i'm more aligned to this um no i I mean as I mentioned before I think I'm as excited today as I was 10 years ago. I uh, there are still nights when I'm awake and thinking about a particular challenge and I think the way my brain is designed is uh, I love uh, like the more challenging the more fun it is and the more exhilaration exhilarating something is because uh, I I mean I don't know it's <laughs> it's it's just I think the way my brain works but um this this not been any such big challenge that we like okay let's quit or something uh luckily as i mentioned for covid also we were in the uh, at the in the village we were living there so we could continue the program else i think that would have been a biggest challenge so far um but um um yeah i i think no big challenges um the smaller ones i mean the ways the smaller ones keep coming and going so that's that's all part and parcel right so that's uh that's real persistence uh, that's needed beat in any leader beat in uh, social entrepreneurship or regular startups that's fantastic oh, yeah but i'll tell you something you know like even if you have a lot of challenges the minute you go on the ground and you see these children thinking it just evaporates so i think that's the reason why i can't even like it, it's just so much fun to really see these children working and thinking that uh, nothing even looks like a challenge really it's nice it's a very virtuous circle no, so no. the children keep you motivated to keep going ahead that's awesome yeah so but, <laughs> yeah but just to clear i'm not like an enthusiastic person it's just fun and uh, it's it's, yeah. it's it's more of fun you know so yeah it definitely definitely sounds fun i definitely want to 
sometime come down and uh, maybe volunteer for your uh, non-profit and see how it all happens. Definitely. Well, what does your team look like? What are their roles? Um, so we uh, we are taking youth from the villages and we are uh, training them for the STEM education. And uh, it's turned out to be a fantastic model because uh, earlier we were taking... So what we realize is that uh, this whole inquiry-driven, uh, inquiry-based STEM education is still a newer concept in India. And uh, there aren't that many STEM educators who understand this process. Like, of course, you, you have a lot of organizations using kits. But uh, this process of um, uh, inquiry is what is important to crack. And we decided to launch this two-year STEM fellowship program. And earlier, we were taking people across India. But uh, because of the COVID pandemic, we, we uh, sort of pivoted it to become a local fellowship. And um, it, it's, it's, it has had a lot of advantages. And so, so, uh, so since I mentioned that we are scaling up, we have we already had three local fellows and we have just onboarded five more and we are still on the lookout for two more so there'll be like a total of almost nine fellows that we'll have in, on a team uh we have assistant program managers and we are going to be looking out for a program manager as well so the program execution team will be set up um mira who's a co-founder she's a she's also the program director she's uh, mainly responsible for the curriculum training execution of the program so, uh, but but what we intend to do is uh, start putting like a curriculum R&D and a content team together this year. And we already have onboarded one person for that, for content. Um, so since we have sort of developed, you know, like done these projects so many times and tried out different things with what's working, not working on the ground uh, for STEM, for the Indian context, we also intend to, uh, while we are scaling up, to prove that the program works at a scale level. But the main idea is to be a STEM resource center. And I think uh, we will be evolving the team uh, to sort of have that only center for STEM research so that we can then disperse that information on an open source basis. Uh, and we also have two new people joining us for the non-program team. So last year we were six people. And uh, now I think by the end, like in a few months, we should be around 17, 18 member team. Wow, that's nice. Um, especially you mentioned... You want to do STEM uh, research on trying to figure out, I guess, uh, how children learn, right? Yes, uh, yes, yes. So those are one of the most uh, evasive concepts even for today's education systems. So Absolutely. it's definitely needed and I'm happy that you're doing it as an open source. And what do you look for in someone to be a part of your team? What's that uh, fundamental characteristic? Um, If I have to, if it has to come down to one, then it's really ownership of your work because we do not have a culture of micromanaging. So uh, if you see some of the people who, you know, they're already on board, like they are someone who want to set up their own organization in the future. So very self-driven, very motivated, and that's how we love to work. And because for us, it's very important that if someone is joining Universe Simplified, we, are, we, we really want them to grow with the organization. So uh, there's no culture of, okay, you just do how much you're being told. Um, so I think that's the most important thing that we look for. And how And how are you... How excited do you get for learning something new and taking it as a challenge? I think those are some of the things that we really look for. Awesome. So what is your advice for people who came from similar backgrounds and who want to start a, such a, a social enterprise? Um, okay, so I think we, we sort of just jumped into it, uh, which is not a great thing to do. 
uh, I would strongly suggest before setting up your own enterprise, work with other enterprises in the similar domain. Um, like really understand, um, like if it's education, then really understand what are the on-the-ground challenges for education. Uh, what are the different solutions already tried out? Like really, like, you know, spend enough time understanding the problem. So like we just jumped into it and it's now that we're actually going into the communities, doing surveys, uh, primary research and understanding their problems on the ground. I mean, of course, we we were doing it all, all along, but we are doing it in a more systematic manner now. But I would suggest that people should do that early on uh, before they set up something. Because a lot of times you also set up things because you are passionate about. But is it the need of that community that you're working in? So I think finding that alignment is very important early on um so that's one uh, thing and yeah and also if you know it's a systemic challenge that you are thinking of addressing then 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 like yeah you 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 should know that you will have to give in like 10 15 20 years of your life to do this because i mean of course you know like it, it really takes long like we we still have so much to learn and grow and evolve as an organization and in, in terms of the program because these challenges are not like so many questions. If you live and ask me now, I'll be like, okay, you know what? We we still figuring it out. So I think that commitment you should have uh, when you're jumping into something like this from the beginning. That's awesome. So it's a I relate to that, especially the part where you said you need to research who you are going to serve. That's uh, it's like user research that we do. We right. try and understand who we are designing for, right. and amazing work, um, especially with the children trying to figure out. STEM education by their innate uh, self and with things around them. And uh, even in design, that mindset of being an amateur and not having uh, all that knowledge, trying to preset your uh, solutions right. is very essential. Right. So what are uh, some of your future plans? So um, future plans, we are um, wanting to sort of take the program to almost 60, 70 schools within our region, within our geographic region, and uh, put impact assessment in place. So we are designing it internally, but we are also looking at uh, uh, external partners who specialize in assessments. But the idea, because, and no funder is asking us to do it, but for us, it's very important that, see, when you're designing a program, there are so many assumptions that you have. Right. And there's so much of bias that you yourself will have towards the program. So we want to sort of see what this program is really doing on the ground at scale. Um, so uh, really scaling it up and putting the impact assessment to prove that, yes, this program will give you these kind of outputs that we are talking about, like problem solving and the mindset of the child and all of that. Um, so that's there. And alongside, as I mentioned, we do want to start looking at setting up this uh, R&D STEM uh, kind of a uh, lab where we are like Mira is uh, doing her MA in education from this and we, we intend to you know then like do systematic research on uh, with a more specific group of students on what's working what's not working and things like that and um, training is something that we want to uh, so the scale model that I mentioned it's not because you want to do direct uh, reach everywhere the scale is to prove that the program works or not or doesn't work and uh, we majorly, I mean, at least for now, I can tell you our scale model looks like more um, through training other organizations and working with other partners rather than saying that let's set up an office everywhere and do it ourselves. I think at least for now, that's the way we are going, thinking about it. Um, and yes, the third thing is uh, looking at setting up an online um, open source portal for STEM education. 
um, still have to figure out the specifics for it, but we don't want other organizations to go through this whole tedious process of figuring out what's working, not working, and uh, how to build projects and stuff through inquiry. So that's something that for sure we want to put it up as open source. So yeah, there are these few of the things that we, we want to do. And uh, there's like the rough plan for the next three to five years. Wow, fantastic. I, I have a, a notebook with a lot of, uh, you know, doodles and notes that I've taken okay. from our talk. A lot okay. of nuggets of wisdom. Your uh, passion is contagious. I thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Uh, you know. My pleasure. It was so much fun. Yes, I hope to see you again sometime and we will talk yes. about uh, more exciting work you've been doing. Do let me know if you're coming down here. Come and see our workshops and uh, the place itself is beautiful. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks, Bye.